Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the trio's tag team champions of the world, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, your host, Maddie Treats, still quarantined, still bunkered in to the, sh- to the house, to my apartment, my palatial estate, whatever you want to call it. And I am with a couple of my good, good friends, of course, with me as always, to my right, the educator of excellence. How are you doing today, educator? Hello, my good sir. Hello, everybody listening into our uh, podcast. We thank you for uh, tuning us in and finding out about this pay-per-view from back in 1996. Again, another shout-out to the Retro Network for this opportunity and and hosting our show and certainly encourage any fans, uh, not only of wrestling, but of just 90s and 80s nostalgia to definitely do a thorough search for the site. Amazing, amazing uh, uh, different uh, evidences that they have that'll bring you back to the good years of the 90s and the 80s, really getting you to think about uh, what, what those times were. So by all means, take a peek and uh, yeah, investigate because you'll you'll absolutely enjoy the site. Yeah, absolutely. I've been using um, the quarantine kind of as, uh, to me, it reminds me of summer vacation for school or when I was growing up in school, you know, having such an extended period of time to kind of do whatever entertains me throughout the day um, and really reliving my childhood by listening to the great content that the Retro Network provides um, on a daily basis uh, is is fantastic. And, you know, I, I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, it's just become of my it's become part of my daily routine, I would think so. Uh, but to my left, you may know him as the masked library. You may know him as Team Hellions. You may know him as Kevin Hellions. But to me, he's just a good, good friend. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you want to be called? Kevin? <laughs> you can call me whatever at this point. Okay, Mr. Masked Library. Yay! What's up, Kevin? How are you today? How are you? Doing good, doing good. Like you guys were saying, you know, listening to stuff on Retro, um, I actually, in between watching all the wrestling, of course, I dug out a long box full of the old Wizard magazines to try to read alongside the episodes of that podcast. And uh, I can't find my old uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrateds right now, though. I'm worried that the, they got lost somewhere along the way. Oh, the PWI 500s? Oh, I love those. Mm-hmm. I do have the Almanacs, though. I still got all the almanacs. I know it's easy to just look on Wikipedia for like title histories and all now, but man, that those books were indispensable when we were younger. Absolutely. I was, uh, you know, recently, you know, going through, um, just to kind of, to piggyback on that and, and listening to the, obviously the other content on the retro network on the podcast feed and they bring up Tubi TV a lot, uh, when they're talking about it. So, you know, I, I, I downloaded, um, Pluto and, uh, Tubi and all of those kind of free contents that they were talking about. And I found a gem guys on, on Tubi TV. Okay. Uh, it's not really retro, but I do want to mention it here because I kind of have it on in the background all the time is Tubi um, uh, TV offers Lucha Underground all four seasons for free. 
So uh, if you want to see a kind of different kind of wrestling, uh, you know, Lucha Underground is the way to go. Lucha, you know, if you like Grindhouse, that's what Lucha Underground is for wrestling, really. Um, do you know the Ricochet story from Lucha Underground? No, what is that? What is the Ricochet right, story? So Rick, Ricochet was in Lucha Underground as Prince Puma. And the deal was that you are free from your Lucha Underground contract X amount of time after your last match airs. 30 days, 90 a year, I forget. But your last match airs, and then after a certain amount of time, you're released from your contract. So they just never played his last match. Apparently, when Ricochet was signed by NXT, there was some uh, legal maneuvering that had to be done to make him officially free from his Lucha contract. That's crazy to think about. It's also crazy, though, when you're watching that, just to see how many talent are at the other companies now, whether it's AEW, you know, WWE, NXT, um, just all over. Um, And also, too, uh, I know on the last podcast, um, you know, we've been talking about how much weight we've been gaining. Um, I think as a collective bunch, uh, we cannot be on 205 Live. I I do not believe that. (laughs) No. Um, so I, uh, just started, uh, today actually, as of this recording, uh, DDP Yoka. So I ended up uh, buying that on a fight TV has it for sale. And, you know, I'm, I'm, um, diamond cutting my way, diamond cutting weight, I guess. So you do, uh, you do downward dog and uh sun salute and everything today. Yeah. Well, it's downward junkyard dog. So, um, yeah, (laughs) so it's really good. You know, what's funny about it is a lot of the yoga poses, um, they actually do have wrestling names to it. There's Road Warrior 1, Road Warrior 2. You got to hawk up when you're when you're flexing and and just different things like that. Uh, Day one, you know, felt great waking up and and doing that, trying to get a little active in my bunker here. Um, Obviously not doing anything major. Um, Are are you guys doing anything? (laughs) besides like at all to try to stay active i know uh educator you've been uh, mowing lawns left and right had to get the push mower out to finish the uh the one acre property since we had a little issues with the riding mower but uh hopefully we'll try to hit the reset button sooner rather than later here and trying to to get things on the up and up here uh kevin what have you been doing anything to keep to keep you uh kind of uh physically active during these times those, those pokemon aren't gonna catch themselves you know, and if I want to hatch the eggs in Pokemon Go, you got to go for a walk. They have 2K eggs, 5K eggs, 7K eggs, and 10K eggs. So you got to walk around to hatch them eggs, catch some more Pokemon. All right. So there you go. Those are our uh, ways to stay healthy during the quarantine. You're hatching eggs, you're doing DDP yoga, and you're hanging out with the Mexicals. So, all right, let's take it on and let's go into our, our the reason we're all here. That is for In Your House 7, Good Friends better enemies live from the omaha civic auditorium in omaha nebraska it's april 28th 1996 and we we had about ten thousand people at this show nine thousand five hundred and sixty three uh, a big big crowd coming out of uh you know mania 12 here uh well let's get started uh the intro video I loved this video. I love this video so much. I made us an intro video. Love the fact that there are these recap videos to try to get us in the mindset of the the storylines, the events that were leading up to the big show. Uh, that's kind of something we, we miss these days. We end up having these one-hour pre-shows or two-hour pre-shows to, uh, to current-day stuff. 
and you know it's more of a long drawn out process but you know that that 45 second minute minute and a half uh package video you know really tugs on the heartstrings of of what what good storylines were going on back in the day and reminding us of the events that coming up uh, that we're setting up for this the series for the show itself definitely a a missing piece of artwork that i wish would be reinvested into these days you know the you're talking about the crowd it's it's got to be the second biggest in your house crowd so far just behind canada it looks phenomenal it looks incredible and this we're not even at peak wrestling yet which you know which is coming with uh, the monday night war kicks up attitude era nwo you know all of that stuff but this is a huge crowd I'm just wondering, I haven't looked up, uh, because some of these buildings we looked up, you know, to see how they are now, or if there's events there in the building now, how many they can hold. I'm not sure if this is still standing, because during the In Your House graphics opening, uh, the building was bombed by the In Your House flyers. (laughs) Yeah, I love these opening graphics scenes, and (laughs) I I would imagine you wouldn't do this uh, in today's day and age, where you have a video, uh, like, war uh, plane uh, flying over and dropping bombs onto the united states but the bombs are just the logos for in your house quick other thing there we're talking about the promo videos and how now we got you know the hour-long pre-show and our our group of panelists and talk and all there's been a couple scattered references through in your house of then your house free for all which was the half hour pre-show on the pay-per-view channels and usually be a bunch of hype videos some interviews but every so often there'd be a match on there too and it doesn't look like any of those are on WWE Network, and that's kind of a shame. That seems like it's a tiny missing thing, but it's still missing. It is missing, but if you do Google In Your House 7, Good Friends, Better Enemies, you can find the uh, free-for-all, uh, because I uh, actually just watched it. So, <laughs> uh, And there is a match on it. Uh, the match is 1-2-3-Kid versus Mark Marrow with Sable. Uh, just to kind of throw that out there if you're feeling feisty, but it's not really relevant until we get to later in the show when they cover one thing. Uh, one thing that the video kind of kind of sets the tone is obviously the feud between Diesel and HBK. But I got a question for you guys, okay? So Diesel's getting the world title shot tonight. When was his last pay-per-view win before this? Would have been the Bulldog countout match at the In Your House. What would have been In Your House 4? No, technically lost to Bulldog there. Technically lost to Bulldog. Yeah, because that was was the Bret Hart. It would have been triple header then. It would have been the triple header in September. Let me just run through this real quick. He lost to Taker at Mania, lost to Bret in the Cage at In Your House 6, lost the Rumble match, actually got thrown over by Shawn Michaels. Lost to Owen at In Your House 5. Lost the belt at the Survivor Series to Brett. Lost to Bulldog technically because of the Bret Hart interference hitting the Bulldog and whatnot. Um, and then won the belts with Sean in September. So been a bit of a losing streak here. But I guess because of the storyline and how closely knit they were with Sean, um, really using that for the reason for the storyline also too probably wanted him to do the favors before being uh, sent to wcw here i absolutely you know you if you look at it storyline wise you know he loses to taker at wrestlemania but then being on the losing end now all of a sudden he's in a world title program with the new champion Shawn michaels you know why why wasn't taker with the big win uh but certainly stuff going on behind the scenes with 
Diesel and also Scott Hall, uh, who was Razor Ramon, having given their notice and being there on their way out. So they were certainly trying to make the most of what was left of their existing contracts and utilizing this last uh, pay-per-view platform because this would be their, both of them, their last pay-per-view appearances for the company until they return back with the uh, NWO rehash in uh, uh, 2002. You know, I, even though he's lost all these, not once would I have said Diesel looked weak or he was getting buried. It's, it's losses, but he was still a main event character, whereas we've seen other people lose multiple matches it's like oh you're just you're just burying him i don't know why but clearly you are your your face behind this person is not there right now you could you know i mean he's in a yes he you know loses big matches but he's in them still that counts for something yeah and of course a lot of the the finishes were schmaz finishes uh they weren't he wasn't taking pinfalls basically no. he was losing losing by count out or, or dq um, stuff like that. But let's get into the first match, okay? So the first match, I believe, is Bulldog versus Jake. I, 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 I thought that's, I thought <laughs> that, that's, that's what the match was. That's what was scheduled. And then for whatever reason, not at all explained, not to the crowd and certainly not to the pay-per-view audience through the announcers, it suddenly turned into a tag match. You know, we've got Bulldog coming to the ring. Uh, being accompanied by Owen Hart, being accompanied by uh, their manager, Jim Cornette, and then also being accompanied by uh, Clarence Mason, who had a stack of paperwork with him. And uh, then we've got Jake the Snake Roberts cutting a backstage promo right before his entrance music hits, saying that he's got his backup, his equalizer with her, referring to his bag uh, with the snake. Comes to the ring, and they kind of rehash an old Andre the Giant moment where the snake gets uh, brought out of the bag and scares old Mr. Cornette to the point where he passes out in the ring and they have to revive Mr. Cornette. So an interesting start to this one-on-one -on -one contest. And then suddenly it changes after Cornette and Mr. Mason uh, uh, leave ringside. So, uh, Allians, what, do you, what did you think? This whole thing's just so bizarre. Um, one, we got the Germany house show footage, which is, I mean, you rarely show house show footage. You rarely show footage from another country. Both together, I was like, all right, are we just buying time here? Jake taking out the snake, getting Cornette, the paperwork that the snake shouldn't be there and everything. I, I swear, this whole segment of buildup is longer than any other match on the card, or at least that's how it felt. It felt like stalling. It doesn't seem like it was, but that's how it felt like. Um Jake taking forever to bring the snake to the back. And obviously you can tell, put it back in the bag, hand it off to someone else. Like there'd be someone else that was like in charge of the snake while he's in the ring now at this point. Um, comes out with Ahmed out of nowhere. And then it's Ahmed's just there really like uh, clearly Jake was brought in. He was brought back for the rumble, but all the stuff he does, it's clear that he's there to help to help with people to get people better um either on the mic with the ring work with psychology whatever it's clear jake is there to assist but ahmed worked what a minute of this match maybe once it's turned into a tag match if that if that i know he, i know he's got the bad hand here but still he worked maybe a minute of this match i think i think the oddest thing about this is it's it's built up as 
Bulldog versus Jake Roberts. And then we get the tag match of Owen and Bulldog versus Jake and Ahmed. But even McMahon on commentary is just like, well, I thought it was a singles match. Yeah. But now it's a tag match. It's impromptu, right. I mean, there's so much going on in this match. Uh, Bulldog really playing it up with the crowd, too. Oh, my gosh. Bulldog versus Front Row is fantastic. Yes. Uh, Ahmed's hand. What Did he have a hand injury at this time that you guys are aware of? Kind of always had an injury. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is he I forget the angle, but I feel like he hit something, a window, a, a door, whatever during a promo and actually hurt his hand. But I couldn't remember which one. And then, of course, Kevin, I, Diana Smith sitting ringside. So my, my buddy there got to start planning the seeds for the next couple of shows. One thing uh, you've heard me talk about regarding Bulldog and and me very much appreciating this part of his entire run, this singles year from his heel turn to eventually getting into that WWF championship program. Do you guys notice anything interesting about Bulldog in this match? Do you notice his ring gear was appears to be his old allied powers ring gear when he was? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I was like, something's weird. So he had, it looked like I, I, I don't remember if that mania I have to would have to go back if he had transitioned back to wearing the short trunks from uh, that were similar in style from his Allied Powers tag team run. But these were like blatantly the old Allied Powers tag team t- trunks that he had with the Union Jack and then the belt going around or the waistband, I should say, would be in the stars for that for that particular tag team. So not sure if uh, uh, there was an actual wardrobe issue or if he was just slowly transitioning back to this type of gear and then the, he ended up wearing this type of gear for the remainder of this particular run before he went back to WCW um but yeah he's uh before he had issues with uh, the knee injury that plagued him later on in the career and having to wear a brace so uh, again we're getting another uh you know rehash or I I I won't say rehash but I guess a new uh, uh coat of paint so to speak on the bulldog with a little bit of an image update uh going with the shorter tights uh but yeah uh, uh hellions you alluded to the fact you know trying to uh you know jake's role in the company how he was brought back maybe helping others i, I do believe ahmed's imp- uh purpose in the match had to be limited due to that hand injury you know going throughout the match there seemed to be jake spending a lot a lot a lot of time in this particular match and at one point you know jake had been worn down after being in the match probably a good half of the match at constant tags back and forth between owen and bulldog wearing down jake roberts you know jake finally makes the hot tag to ahmed johnson and ahmed comes in and he does like one power move. It looked impressive. He hit a spine buster, threw Bulldog against the ropes, hit a spine buster on uh, Bulldog, did not attempt to go to the pit for a pin, and then immediately went back to Jake and tagged him right back into the match after Jake had only been out maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and getting ready to you know, set up for the DDT. So... It was just a very awkward transition after getting that hot tag to almost uh, doing one power move and then tagging in Jake to go for the finish. So there was that. And then the actual complete finish of the match, the, the, the submission 
the, the, the tennis racket left behind by Jim Cornette, who had been taken out. Ref was turned, you know, f- focusing on uh, Owen and uh, Ahmed battling outside the ring. And then Bulldog grabbing that tennis racket, laying in a couple of weak swipes to Jake's knee. And then while I can understand, okay, we do some kind of leg-based finishing maneuver, what was that? Just like you you pick up one of the legs as if you're going for a Boston Crab and then you just stretch it. You know, it wasn't even like falling back on the mat to stretch it out for that leg bar. It was just ba- basically a, a standing clover leaf with just one leg. It just, the the finish seemed weird. Ahmed Johnson's limited uh, ability in the match. I think there was just, there was just so much riddled on this pay-per-view. And this was just the beginning <laughs> of yeah. what was going to be a long, long night for the superstars. So, all right, Ahmed so much energy so much strength just explosive but no way to focus it or channel it you know it's it's this giant bomb you know dropped by the wwf flyers there on the arena and the graphic but then the energy has nowhere to go like he's just not focused at all you have this amazing machine here but it doesn't work you know there's no there's nothing for it to produce it's kind of a shame then there's also the stare down you know immediate reaction of bulldog and ahmed in the ring and you can you can sense in the crowd now it's like oh here's two ridiculously strong guys that have never been in the ring against each other what could happen here and it's interesting you know it's you build two people up you keep them apart so when they clash the fans are interested but big strong guy versus big strong guy doesn't really go anywhere and I, we've seen it on the In Your House pay-per-views a lot. Here's Bulldog and Ahmed, two giant strong guys. Okay, yeah, but they're not good against each other. Here's Yoko versus Mabel, two very big people. Okay, yeah, but they don't do anything together. Here's Kevin Nash versus Sid, two very tall guys. Okay, but they didn't do anything together. There's certain situations where you have these two similarities, you know, a, feel, uh, a face and a heel, and when they finally collide, you're interested but these are the combinations to cruiserweights, to brawlers, hell, even to tag teams. You're like, oh my gosh, these two are finally facing off. I can't wait for it. You know, um, DIY versus revival. You're like, oh yeah, I've been waiting to see this. This is exciting. You know, certain cruiserweights, certain great wrestlers. Uh, even um, when, you know, hey, it, Drew Gulak or Daniel Bryan versus Cesaro. I'm like, yup, I'm ready. What's happening here? This sounds fantastic. I can't wait to see this match. But these combinations of similarities, strong guys, fat guys, tall guys, it doesn't line up for an interesting match at all. Yeah, just a very, very odd segment, especially to start the pay-per-view and kind of slow it out of the uh, the blocks. But I do want to say MVP of that segment was Jim Cornette. Uh, I was laughing hysterically when he fainted in the crowd or in the corner there. I thought that was great. Why not use Jake as a, as a manager now during this pay-per-view? I mean, and you see him as a manager in AEW now and it's perfect. Yes. He's had issues. And while he was in this, this time in WWE in 96, he was more of a, I found Jesus, you know, I'm born again and everything. And it wasn't quite, true but whatever i don't understand why you didn't try him as manager at this point though 
the mind's there. You clearly have him coaching and teaching younger talent to make them better. He clearly can't wrestle like he used to, though. Like, I don't understand why he wasn't made a manager 20, almost 25 years ago. Definitely. I mean, the guy could absolutely talk. And there were certain guys that were either on this show or debuting within the company during 96 that certainly had trouble with being able to talk or portray a new type of character than what the audience was used to being. So certainly having another mouthpiece, whether as a face or a heel, uh, certainly Jake would have been in that role. Because if you think about, you know, yeah, Jake was brought back for the Royal Rumble pop. And then if you think about, like, what his role was through the company, what significant or memorable... uh, Okay, he had the King of the Ring uh, match and then Steve Austin and all that. But other than that King of the Ring night, I don't really remember too, too much memorable of Jake Roberts besides the 96 Rumble and the 96 King of the Ring. Nothing else very memorable in that time. No, and I mean, thankfully he came back because if he wasn't, you know, oh, I'm clean and born again, we don't get Austin 316. Right. Without it. So it's kind of, you know, it's fate in a way. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting how his little run here would catapult Austin, like, and just be that foil for stone cold to become stone cold basically. So, uh, but yeah, let's, let's move on from, from that junk. Uh, (laughs) and we'll, we'll, we'll go into the hotline segment, which I alluded to earlier, Talking with the one, two, three kid, Mark Mero with Sable. The only thing really interesting is Sable just looks at the camera That's the entire big, yeah. time. Staring into that camera like it was a very cheesy, almost like an 80s porn movie. It was not, it, it was uncomfortable with the amount of staring into the camera. You got the one, two, three kid, and he's like posing, doing the single arm bicep pose. After he lost his match to Mark Merrow, so I'm not sure what was going on there. Um, there's talk of that he was already in plans and being on his way out as well. Um, I don't know if anything at this time was confirmed with WCW, but obviously being a part of the backstage group known as the Click at this time with uh, with Hall and Nash planning on leaving and this being their last televised show. Yeah, it was uh, very, very little time left for Mr. Waltman as well. Sable, like, because she did fashion shoots, or some modeling before, and I get staring at the camera then. That makes sense for a picture. But for video, it just looks like she's dead inside. Like, just soulless. And she became... Catatonic, yeah. Yeah, she, she became a better character later. She's still new to all of it. You know, it's Mark Mara's wife at this time and all. But it's just so. She seems like a mannequin almost. During this, during the storyline, Mero, when when they break up, when he breaks up out from Sable, when when that ends, was the reason because the fans liked her more than him, or was it that she was into the limelight of it? And this is planting the seeds for, oh, she's into the camera more than she's into me. All of that. All of that. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, honestly, like, it's not either or. It was both of them. And then it became Meryl being jealous that the fans and WWE are into her more than him. And then they did. Didn't they do an abuse angle or implied for a bit, too? 
I mean, certainly with like, you can come out with a paper sack and, you know, stuff like that. And then, it, you know, as the story got going, Sable's on TV and Mark Merrow isn't. Eventually he leaves and, you know, they get divorced and, you know, have their separate lives. If I ever was in hired in WWE and so was my wife and we're both on camera roles, I'd say, nope, we got to leave. I, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, where they're both on camera and they remain together. I, I think a lot of it was when Merrill was out with the knee injury, he ended up, I believe it was an ACL. Um, he had debuted the, the finish, the wild thing, which was basically shooting star, uh, shooting star press, uh, which we hadn't really seen any of that whatsoever. I mean, we're so used to it today uh, by today's standards, but cruiserweights, you know, we're more known for this. But this, he was a relatively big guy in doing the shooting star press. He ended up getting a knee injury. Um, not sure if it was directly from hitting a, a, one of his wild things, shooting star presses wrong, but he was out a good chunk of time. It was like six, seven months. And I really think that him being out and off TV and then they're like, well, we still want Sable and they were going to use her as an on-screen character, whether it was for merch sales or, or for interviews or, or whatever, all of it just it started planting the seeds and ultimately led to, and then I guess he had some substance abuse as well going on behind the scenes as well. So it was just unfortunately a, a rolling domino effect of, uh, that led to them splitting. So anyways, let's move on. Uh, let's get into, okay. Match number two on the card. So we have gold dust. And of course, as everyone knows, he's flanked by the bodyguard and Marlena. Uh, to take on the ultimate warrior. Uh, a few notes that I have. Um, <laughs> the crowd chants during this match. I don't know if you guys picked up on what the crowd was chanting at all. Uh, but uh, very derogatory. Of, of course, the mid 90s, uh, you got these homosexual characters. So uh, crowd chant isn't something you can get along and get, get away with today. Very androgynous. Character. So androgynous. That's androgynous. Right. Uh, I didn't realize like this seemed like a house show segment to me. Oh, like, this is yeah. something you would go and just see at a house show. Um, and I also, I don't understand why Marlena was so into her chair and cigar. Like, like they take the cigar, throw it. They take the chair. He, th- he throws it. He's sitting in it, whatnot. And they come back for that. Like that's not. It's not like he dropped the IC title, and that would have been something that you would covet and want to go back for. I mean, a half smoking cigar in a in a in a director's chair. Like you you can go get those at Walmart. I, I don't know. That's, this this was this was the drizzling ones. I mean, this was terrible. All right, so. Um... Yeah, this particular match, I I truly believe that there was a legitimate injury with Dustin Rhodes, the Goldust uh, character, and I don't know if it was something that had literally just happened uh, within the last week or so. They they had certainly showed some clips leading up to it about the injury itself, whether it was an actual storyline or a legit uh, Goldust did, in fact, if, if it was storyline, he certainly sold it very, very well. Um, everything about this just seemed like very much what you guys had said. It was like a house show segment between the debut of this new bodyguard type character 
Um, the fact that when you think of the Marlena character, like if you picture what you remember as Marlena being with Goldust, the outfit that she had on, I don't know if it was just a wardrobe issue, but we always remember Marlena being in a gold dress, very, very tight, very revealing dress. And the fact that she was wearing like baggy, almost like baggy pants and a cream colored vest. It just her her ensemble looked just totally different than what they were used to. So maybe they were just trying out something new, or maybe there was a wardrobe thing, and they were just trying to to make it happen. The while the the they were being introduced, and while they're making their entrance to the ring, we cut back to a pre match interview with Doc Hendricks, and again, and I've alluded to this on previous uh, uh, how uh, podcasts that we've had. Don't have Doc Hendricks stand next to one of the wrestlers if he towers over them again having an interviewer be bigger again did you guys notice how much taller he was than the ultimate warrior in that segment it's just it's like wow why is this interviewer just so, so much more impressive looking in terms of size compared to who he's interviewing you know why, why didn't they have stan lane interviewing this guy interviewing the ultimate warrior as opposed to doc hendrick's um, so, you know, gold dust with the big knee wrap, um, you know, it just seems very, very house show esque. but they were just killing time and just filling. And it just, this segment just kept dragging on longer and longer and longer than it needed to be. You know, if they would have just done a big old schmoz DQ with this bodyguard attacking the warrior early into the match. And for Goldust to run away, um, you know, that would have certainly left a much more better taste in my mouth than, you know, what was presented between um, the warrior picking up the cigar and smoking the cigar, warrior picking up the, the chair and sitting in the ring and inviting Goldust and Marlena to come back and then helping Goldust get his robe back on. Uh, and sitting in the director's chair in the ring. Ugh. This was just such a deflating, deflating segment. And, you know, maybe had this been, if they played around with the order of the matches, maybe if this was later in the show, but just doing this as the second main match segment, it would have been the third one with the live crowd. Well, you had the free-for-all at the start, too. But this being the the pay per view's second main segment, it just deflated the crowd. It seemed, and then just for me, deflated the viewer. I always remembered loving this particular pay per view, and it probably was because the main event really, really was a great, great you know finish to the show. But from this segment on, and all the nuances of the the impromptu tag match, it was just hard to want to follow along with the rest of the show following this um again the whole idea with the the count out schmaz finish the bodyguard which we'll discuss who this gentleman is i'm sure in just a few minutes attacking the warrior afterwards you know warrior clotheslining the bodyguard ripping off his jacket ripping off the shirt um and then the warrior celebration at the end where he ends up putting on the gold dust wig and then the bodyguard hat and parading around. At no point did Warrior ever take off his entrance robe during this. It was 
just mm, a terrible segment. A terrible, terrible segment. For some reason, these first two segments are killing for time just already. I mean, I know that the card wasn't the best cards, but to to be two matches in and stalling like what is I don't know what was going on. But let me um let's let's move on to, to Kevin here, um because I know that the bodyguard, Kevin, is one of your favorite wrestlers of all time. Oh, it's, <laughs> oh, it's if only he moved, if only he moved while he was out there. The great Mantar is back as his new unnamed bodyguard gimmick, which I gotta guess they were like, ah, Goldis can't wrestle. We gotta do something to for this match. Wolf Goldis had a bodyguard. Who's backstage just hanging out without anything to do? Mantar. Keep, no, no, don't get, don't, no, don't put down the giant cow head. Just stay in your street clothes. Um, and I believe, and I believe this was just a one night only deal. I don't remember. Uh, the bodyguard coming out on Raw or in the next few weeks afterwards. I could be mistaken, but um, yeah, it was just awkward. No, it's a, it's a one-time shot, but he the Mantar duh, is in born and lives in Omaha, so that would explain oh, that, right. that that they they for some reason wanted to give Goldust a bodyguard <laughs> for one match. Did they then make steaks out of him? Well, Omaha steaks. Not a sponsor. Omaha Steaks, Mantar, he moves. You could go in several (laughs) directions there. Kevin, step your game up. Come on. All right. All right. So uh, the best part of this whole thing was the letterbox entrance for Gold Dust. I used to love that. And it it doesn't, it it plays well watching it on WWE Network, but it played better on our old tube TVs to suddenly have a big old letterbox. Um, You know, I mean, like, kids today but you don't remember when you would rent a vhs tape and it'd have letterbox and you'd be like Where, where's the rest of the image well that is the whole image that's how it's done now so you can actually see it how it was in theater and this is probably the longest ultimate warrior has been in a ring in his entire career as they stall and stall and stall uh none of us are really like smokers but you know i've had a, a cigar at events weddings you know stuff like that things of celebration i've never seen anyone take a cigar that someone else had smoked off the floor and put it into their own mouth though that that seems a bit of a of a misstep here um like you were saying for the chance at gold dust they were playing into it for sure because there is there is a certain thing of hey we're straight men paying to watch men in their underwear roll around with each other. So there's always been a certain thing of like, let's have a gay character and make people uncomfortable and kind of a a wink and a nod to what we're actually watching here. So it's, it's to be expected in a way, but you also see a lot of current LBGT wrestlers that know gold dust as an influence. Like I saw him and I thought, Oh, well you can do a character like this. So I could do something like this too. Even in AEW now, which AEW's got to be the most all-encompassing wrestling promotion out there. There's numerous wrestlers that have said, I'm here because of Dustin, flat out. I saw him on TV, I saw what he was doing, and I felt there was a place for me. So even though he's, get, you know, he's getting just booed and insulted and slurs and everything, you see 25 years later, like there's people that 
saw that and saw him as a hero. Now, to go back to the point I forgot before, because as we're talking about Marlena, there was also a sign, uh, the six best reasons to watch WWE, Sable, Marlena, and Sonny. Ha ha. That's not in this but, match, though. It's later on. Right. Okay, you got it in your notes. But, I've, I've, don't worry. Anything involving Sonny, I have down. Because well, this was my, my point I forgot when we were discussing Mark Merrill earlier in Sable. It took this long to realize, like, hey, maybe we should have some women for the guys to look at. Because really, it was the only person that was out there to look pretty and made up to look pretty and promoted as pretty was Miss Elizabeth. And that was it. Sherry is scary Sherry. You know, um, Alondra Blaze was out there to wrestle. She was never out there to look pretty. Except when she was modeling that t-shirt. Of course. Of course. And honestly, she was made to look best when she was in WCW as Medusa. They made her look, you know, pretty more than WWE ever did. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying a girl should only, a woman should only be out there to look pretty. Of course not. But you should have certain characters that are out there to be like, hey, I'm pretty, look at me, for an audience that at the time was probably 90, 95, if not higher, men. And out of nowhere, at 96, they're like, oh, wait, people like this blonde girl, Sunny. Do we have any other blondes? Anyone married to an attractive blonde that we can throw on camera here? No, 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 don't worry if they know how to wrestle. That's not what we're asking for. Like, it's just shocking it took this long. Warrior looks older here than he looked when he did the Hall of Fame for WWE. Like, he looks awful here. Looks absolutely horrible, and I don't know what took so long, but, like, nothing makes him look like a good guy here. You know, to, here, I'm going to take all your stuff and sit here and and smoke, which, this isn't an anti-smoking thing, but, you know, your your role models for kids probably aren't going to smoke in the middle of the ring, and he's enjoying, like, more of this cigar than she ever did. (laughs) It's just the whole thing is beyond bizarre. But, you know, hey, Mantar's there. It works out. So that's why that's why you you like the segment. Oh, oh, Mantar ma- match of the night, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's it literally is just a house show segment. I mean, this is something you would see at a house show just to kill time, so your big star doesn't have to really get physical and do anything and risk injury. I mean, that's all this was. So I don't know. Uh, but but let's move on. Let's go to our backstage segment with our leather daddy, Doc Hendricks. Uh, and of course, we're we're really setting up the Bulldog HBK program, and of course, uh, another pretty blonde uh, Diana Smith is involved. So, uh, <laughs> educator, what do you what do you have for this? this second? Uh, certainly, uh, starting to plant the seeds. Uh, there was mention during the, I believe, the Goldust match that their Bulldog was there was a commotion in the locker room regarding the Bulldog and so on, and then all of a sudden we see uh, a Bulldog with Owen trying to get into Michael's or at least the door that has Michael's name on it in his dressing room. He's ranting, he's raving. We've got a couple of backstage agents, which would be Dave Hebner, uh, who probably many fans might remember as formerly being a referee, uh, most infamously a part of the double Hebner angle when Andre the Giant won uh, the WWF title on the main event from Hulk Hogan during the uh, screw job finish with Teddy DiBiase. Um, and then you have uh, Hall of Famer Tony Gurria as well as a backstage producer um, who are acting as agents, so to speak, trying to prevent um, uh, Bulldog entry from the locker room. 
trying to start setting up the seeds for uh, another storyline. And what ended up being a much longer storyline, we're so used to um, at this time, it's one pay-per-view and a done, one pay-per-view and a done, one pay-per-view and a done. You know, if we think back to the world title, um, you know, Diesel versus Mabel, Diesel in the tag title match, Diesel versus uh, Bulldog, Diesel versus Brett. You know, and it just—it's just like one pay-per-view, and then that's the end of that angle. Let's go ahead and we're going to start a next angle kind of deal. So they ended up starting planting the seeds for the next angle for the WWF title, which got a pretty good chunk of the remainder of the summer between, uh, you know, May, June, and part of July. So, oh, uh, I was going to say, I think for part of this, for it being you know more planned out and everything was uh, pre-internet being so involved is the magazines were heavily involved in the storylines. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the biggest one was the pictures of Ric Flair and Elizabeth together. And then, it, you know, months later it's revealed it's a photo, you know, the photos were edited and these are all pictures of match on this, but the magazines could play into it and have articles supporting what's going on on raw going on on the pay-per-views, but you need the lead time to publish those internet. You could, you know, you can have something happen right now, film it in the next hour and have it live the hour after that. Magazines take weeks, if not months, depending on, you know, where you are in the schedule for it. Um, and then also you're talking about the agents and, uh, you know, the, the classic um, evil referee, you know, reveal for it. I just wonder if they had a third brother would the previous in your house pay-per-view have been called in your house, triple Hepner. People can't see you guys shaking their head when they listen. To you're the you're so proud of yourself right now. I am. No one finds me funnier than me. All right, we'll keep yeah. it that way. All so right. moving on to our next match, <laughs> uh, we have uh, Big Van Vader with Cornette is finally feeling better after passing out from the snake, taking on uh, Razor Ramon. Uh, did you guys catch Vince McMahon's Latino accent during this? Actually, I did not. But oh, did you did you catch it, Kevin? <laughs> no. So on, on commentary, when Razor comes out, he goes, looking good, mama, looking good. Oh, it's the price of admission uh, on its own. What did you guys think of this match? And uh, was it me or did this just seem to go a little too long? Well, they're certainly trying uh, to. There's two things going on with this particular match. Number one, they are trying to get Vader over as much as possible with the investment that they've put on him from his huge debut in January uh, to making him look like a bigger, more credible monster. Uh, So certainly they rehashed some of the clips from the injury that Vader caused to Yokozuna earlier on Raw. And then we end up finding out after the match that they they plan on having a final Vader versus Yokozuna match one-on-one. The second thing that WWF is doing is certainly trying to make the most out of what's left of Razor Ramon's contract and using him as an on, on-screen talent and uh, perhaps, you know, burying him on his way out. Uh, there was absolutely no build-up to this match. In fact, I don't ever remember there being a full graphic of the match other than, you know, it just being announced on TV that the man they call Vader will face Razor Ramon. Um, in fact, this is Razor Ramon's 
first TV appearance from his uh, suspension that he ended up having in late February, early March. Uh, and he was off TV for about six weeks. This is his first appearance on TV. Uh, so basically a cold reintroduction back to WWF audience. It's his first appearance and his last television appearance. He was only on house shows. He was not on Monday Night Raw. Um, and it was only on house shows for the remainder of his contract from when he, his contract expired. Um, beginning of the match, you know, there were uh, a, trying a lot of... Uh, Certain heel work, Vader working on Razor Ramon's ribs, um, lots of stalling throughout the match, Vader going into and out of the ring, trying to avoid confrontation. Um, one of the things I did uh, was impressed with was that, you know, Vader hit that, what in WCW it was called the Vader bomb, it was a power bomb. WWF, the Vader bomb was that splash off of the second rope. Uh, we're we're kind of used to Jack Swagger, the Jack Swagger character on current te- on what used to be more current television doing this as a finisher, uh, but that splash off the second rope, and uh, Razor Ramon kicked out of that, and that would be the first time uh, an on-air talent had actually you know survived or kicked out uh, of what was at the time Vader's finisher. Um, Razor Ramon had some pretty impressive feats of strength shown during this match. He hit a vertical suplex on Vader. He caught Vader who had climbed up to the second rope to jump off for another splash. He kind of caught Vader for a power slam and and Vader has been known to be very, in terms of uh, agility, very capable of doing some big bump maneuvers. I know a lot of fans probably remember Vader losing the world title to uh, the WCW world title to Ron Simmons and how it was just an un, like an unsuspecting big power slam finish that Simmons hit on Vader running the ropes. Well, Scott, uh, the Razor Ramon characters caught Vader and did a power slam off of this. Um, you know, Razor attempted to do the Razor's Edge when Vader again climbed up to the second rope as if he was going to do a second Vader bomb and ended up just, you know, following Vader and grabbing him. And he had Vader picked up and lifted. And, like, you know, they're selling the fact that he was just, Vader was just too big and too heavy to bring him over. But Razor Ramon ends up, like, literally dropping Vader on his back. And honestly, that is probably this almost the same height as what a powerbomb finish would have been or the Razor's Edge finish. So there was a pretty solid back bump that Razor Ramon ended up, you know, causing to Vader by selling Vader's weight and ended up dropping Vader on his back anyway. Uh, Vader goes for, uh, you know, climbs up to the second rope like he's going to do a third attempt at a Vader bomb. And then ends up climbing up to the top to uh, potentially go for a moonsault, a maneuver that we had not seen Vader successfully uh, or even attempt, I believe, at this point on WWF television. He had been known to do the moonsault in WCW. And uh, Razor Ramon ends up putting him on his shoulders uh, for the electric chair slide and then dropping straight back. Again, another huge back bump for Vader that, again would be just as much of the same height as the the Razor's Edge or a powerbomb finish. And yet Vader's still able to kick out uh, kick out for uh, that particular uh, maneuver. Um, 
Again, the big finish of the match certainly was an unexpected one where Razor Ramon goes to set up for the Razor's Edge by picking him up like it's a power bomb to then hoist him up over his shoulders, but ends up getting reversed like a sunset flip. And then Vader just does a big Yokozuna like sit down vertical splash on him for the big one, two, three uh, pin. Um, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon was definitely on his way out. Uh, we like I said, we hadn't seen him on TV at all for this. Uh, he had a six-week suspension. Certainly, lots of different wink, wink, nudge, nudge reasons as to why he was off TV. Um, the the supposed uh, admitted reason or the big storyline reason was that it was a drug-related suspension. Um, there, there are other stories going around that he was not interested in continuing the storyline with the Goldust character and uh, what was the plan for the WrestleMania match in Goldust. And there was also uh, suggestions at this time that um, that the Scott Hall, the Razor Ramon character, had actually had given notice that he, it was his intentions to leave. And this was kind of like uh, his Vince McMahon's way of, uh, you know, slowly drowning him out, making him a forgotten commodity. And then all of a sudden we'll bring him back for this one last squash and, and bury him on TV. So needless to say, the post-match interview uh, with uh, with Doc Hendricks coming to ringside and informing uh, Jim Cornette and Vader of uh, you know Yokozuna is coming back and there will be finally a one-on-one match at the next pay-per-view setting up the angle again gotta love every segment that Jim Cornette is in and Jim Cornette going off on a rant and so on and so forth probably was the m- most memorable thing I had from that match if you told me one of these guys is leaving I would have thought Vader now, granted, Vader gets the win, but Razor looks strong throughout the match, and Vader is made to look a fool throughout the match. Like, between missed moves, between silliness, stalling, going to the outside, um, just everything. And it's, Vader is such a missed opportunity in WWF, and I think, I, I I feel like everyone's just to blame for it. Vader was not in great health. This isn't quite the Waylon Mercy, Dan Spivey level we've talked before on the podcast, but it's within the same, you know, area here of, oh, we got this talent that was already kind of, you know, breaking down here and now we're stuck with him. But like, he's not, he's booked poorly. He looks like a joke here. He should have just come out and destroyed a guy made event talent or not. That's leaving the company very soon. Anyways. Um, there's, there's moments where he looks devastating and scary and like what Vader used to be. And then other moments where like, for one Vader should not be knocked off his feet so often and so easily as he is in this match. They got bumping off the, off his feet like one two three kit against razor that just should not happen um his gear looks awful you know there was a thing on on twitter a couple weeks back that was wrestlers posting their first gear versus their most recent gear and of course you see a change more money more design more confidence what you're comfortable and you know connection of course the gears can be better better vader's a former world champ across the globe 
and is wearing gear like he just showed up to work his first indie match. And I'm not even sure it was on the right way. Because, now, you mentioned Bulldog's gear. They're both managed by Cornette at the time. There are tons and tons and tons of stories of people saying that Vader smelled. That he did not clean his gear often. That he did not wash it. That he would reuse stuff. That he would put it on backwards to say it was different gear. So the Vader thing would be on the front or the back. So if you're Bulldog with Cornette in the same group, maybe sharing a locker room, maybe in the same car, maybe making the same appearances... How are you going to complain about someone else's gear smelling if you're not wearing fresh gear all the time yourself? Right. So maybe maybe it's like, screw it, I'll pull out this gear just so I got something new so I can make my point here. Um, and I mean, Vader will appear, you know, later for stuff. He's not gone yet. But everything sounds like he was just an injury after an injury after an incident after this, after that. He, uh, I went back and found out that that in your house where he came out in the jacket and the hoodie and did the cuffs, that he had just had surgery done. So he was covering up surgical scars with wearing all that clothes. You got the instant in Kuwait. You got his freaking um, big gash on his eye where he's just bleeding and it makes the, it's the raw magazine cover right. for a while. That was 97, um, final yep. four. And we'll eventually do a show on that. Exactly. Yeah, he's a big dude, but he's even bigger here and becoming more mobile. He's not quite like a Yokozuna level for it, but clearly he needs to lose some weight and get the speed back up. I'm watching this, and, and like I did before for Shane Douglas, I watch an old Vader match just to see if, like, uh, am I out of it? Am I being silly here? Am I, you know, uh, rose-colored glasses? So I watch Vader, Big Van Vader at time, versus Nikita Koloff, from Halloween Havoc 92. Mm-hmm. Vader's a monster. Absolute monster. God, he's so good there. And, you know, WWF, we got two guys now that were stars somewhere else that they gave contracts to and then they realized they had duds. It's like they walked into a used car dealership and they're like, I'll take that one. Do you want to test drive it? No, nah, it's fine. And then they take it home. They're like, oh, God, now I'm stuck with it. Right. <laughs> the hell do I do now? Yeah, I mean, this was certainly, this was WWF's attempt to elevate what they thought was going to be the next monster. I mean, because Vader ends up eventually getting into a world title program with Shawn Michaels. So this is the slow ascent or what is supposed to be the slow ascent for Vader up the, up the mountain. And he, he's, he does, he doesn't look good at all. No, but, and then, but he's booked terribly too. Right. So I, I think the blame's on both sides for, it. Right. you know, I mean, this match, should not have gone that long and vader should have looked dominating the entire time you you could make a few you know booking changes to this match and he looks like a star and has something behind him and honestly you know like i i i say this to you too and you know you can uh, it might be funny hearing me say it but I'll, i'll pretend i've matured in my age here there are certain people that I think need something positive to happen to give them the encouragement to try harder. To and want then there are other people harder, that can right. try harder on their own. Right. Yeah. If you gave Vader big dominating squash victory, then maybe he would have been like, all right, let me keep trying. Cause I, I like how I feel having that win and getting this push. So I'll try to lose the weight and I'll try to be better. And I'll try to clean my gear and I'll try to look better here. Cause I want to continue with this reward that you've already given me. And then there are other people there like, 
oh, I need to work harder to get to that reward. Right. I feel like Vader would have needed to be given something in order to encourage him to continue to do it. Whereas other people, you don't have to give them anything first. It's the drive to get that that encourages them. Like the educator alluded to, Doc Hendricks comes out and then we get set up for next month, which will be that Vader-Yoko match that um, Roddy Piper promised us at Mania. So it's, uh, it's uh, two months later, but they, they are delivering on that. So. Two, two big guys against each other. We'll see how that works out based on what I was saying earlier. <laughs> yeah, so uh, something to look forward to, guys. So let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go into cyberspace. We're going into cyberspace uh, with Paul Bearer and The Undertaker oh, at the AOL table. Um, am I crazy? But when I think mid-90s, Undertaker is one of the first people you think of, right? Absolutely. For mid-90s WWE. Yeah. We've only seen him wrestle once so far on our in your in your house pay-per-views and that was in your house five on that casket match against mabel why do you think they weren't putting him on the in your houses were they still using him as a special attraction for the bigger pay-per-views yeah absolutely um uh, whatever deal he had yeah whatever deal he had worked out i still think that they were trying to fine tweak his character more uh, with now being on the, I mean, he had been a face, you know, for a couple of years now, I still think they were trying to fine tune his character a lot more. Um, and certainly saving him for the bigger, bigger shows and, you know, he, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, you know, so on. Um, but a majority of these in your houses, he is involved in dark match post-show after, you know, send the crowd home happy kind of deals. Well, what was that random pay-per-view Brock was on? Great Balls of Fire. He had a random match on. And everyone's like, really? You you have limited times that Brock will work, and you have to pay him an exorbitant amount, and you have him on this show? Right. So, I mean, there's no, you know, the Undertaker in a way. I'm not comparing Undertaker and Brock, you know, work ethic and contracts and stuff like that. But, yes, as a special attraction, yeah. Andre the Giant would have done it in your house, you know? Right. And it's funny, too, Matt, that you bring up that he's been the dark match because he is the dark match main event tonight um, and he takes on Mankind. The funny thing about that match is it is actually on WWE's Attitude Era Volume 3 DVD. Now, this isn't the Attitude Era. No, it's not. No, it's, it's, it's pre, but we're still really a year away from even ramping it up. Right. The, the the chessboard is set by everyone's this is this is without a doubt new generation in fact vince mcmahon makes it very very clear in the main event about Shawn michaels the leader of the new generation so we know we are definitely nowhere near the attitude area so so wwe reaching to to find contents to put on a dvd basically if they're they're adding that main event on there so uh but from cyberspace let's go in to the wwf store when we are greeted by the toddster the toddster tonight is selling uh, a, a combination of sport shirt and and why now what is a, a sport what shirt. is a sport shirt yeah what, what is a sport shirt it's 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 so you can wear casual fridays to your zoom meetings right it is a polo shirt uh and of course you get your choice of hbk the Ultimate Warrior and The Undertaker. Um, 
We actually have some sizes this time, small, medium, large, extra large, for $40. Now, you know what the beautiful thing about the sports shirt and hat is, Mr. Mass Library? What is the beautiful thing about them? It's going to make you look cool and happening. <laughs> Do you, did you ever have any sort of article of clothing that made you cool and happening? Did I? Oh, jeez. I mean, um, well, let's see. I've, I've worn many a black jeans. Um, I think when uh, we worked together years ago, I bought the uh, Speed Racer uh, Echo Pants, uh, which were zip away as well, so they could be shorts. Oh, God. I speedy erased those from my mind. Oh, well, I, I did buy the WWF shirt. It probably came along a little later, more closer to Attitude Era, but I had the sunny I Like It Raw shirt. It's funny you say that because they were all across the front row of the show. I think I bought it the next year. I think I bought it in 97. At, uh, I, uh, I also purchased that. And I remember when I purchased it, because I am a little younger, you said, well, I look like a creep. You could get away with it. I think I've said that for lots of things in our life, probably from last week. Yeah, that, is, that is true. That is true. So, uh, so then we get the nice transition into uh, from the WWF store into our next match. But before that, we have the, the sign that you alluded to, which said Sonny, Marlena, and Sable. The six best reasons to watch. That's really saying a lot about your product. If that's the best reasons to watch wrestling. <laughs> Apparently it's planning the seat for that attitude era. Huh? It's an upper body business kit. It's all upper body. That is, that is <laughs> true. Uh, we do go to the body Donna's versus the Godwins. And of course uh, the body Donna's have sunny with them. The Godwins have, uh, Billy Jim. And when you have Sonny coming out, you have the camera focused right on her, don't you? No, not this pay-per-view. We get the wide shot of the arena. You don't even see the entrances coming in. Godwin's already in the ring. Body Don is making their way into the ring. Uh, what did you guys think of this match? And basically, isn't it just Otis and Mandy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for me, watching this match back again, um, not too, too many things for the actual match stand out, um, more in the commentary and Lawler trying to be a smart Alec messing up his own line, trying to poke a little barb at Sonny. He comes up with this joke and he says it and he goofs up the punchline. He realizes after the fact that he goofs up the punchline and even is apologetic to, to McMahon right there. He's like, I'm sorry, I make mistakes. So Lawler proceeds to say that Sonny was 20 years old before she found out that cars had a back seat. And it's awkward, and it's awkward. And then he realizes that Car, he meant to say that cars have a front seat, alluding to, you know, she's certainly a you know, girl that spent plenty of time in the back seat, probably with Shawn Michaels at this time. Uh, but, yeah, so the the awkward commentary and Lawler trying to cover up and, and you know, poking fun at himself and making his own mistake. Um, but, yeah, it was just very, very, um, very, very funny. Um 
oh gosh, stereotypical gimmick match, gimmick characters, uh, the Jim Goofs versus the Backyard Hillbillies kind of deal. Um, you know, Phineas Godwin doing the mule kick right before where he's prancing, you know, he's trying to kick both of his feet to knock down the, the body Donis so that he can make the hot tag to, to Henry Godwin. Um, Sonny takes off, off camera, runs backstage to go get an autographed picture and ends up running back while uh, Henry Godwin's got the hot tag and is, you know, going after both the body Donis. And she ends up kind of running around to the opposite side of the ring where Phineas is and hands him this autographed picture to Pig with all my love, Pig for P-I-G, Phineas Godwin. And, you know, the ref being distracted and uh, trying to split them up. So we got the big slop drop from Henry Godwin onto uh, Skip of the Body Dottis, who was Chris Candido. And certainly a pin attempt, but because the ref was distracted trying to separate Hillbilly Jim arguing with Sonny and who's Sonny trying to hand the picture to Phineas Godwin, we got to see one of the original uh, twin magics happening here. Instead of the Bella Twins, we got the Bonnie Donnas doing the big old switcheroo with uh, Skip being rolled out of the ring and then Zip laying down as if he was the one that was... Uh, you know, had the pin attempt because Godwin, uh, Henry Godwin gets up to try to also split up Phineas and and uh, and Sonny. And so Zip now is laying in the middle of the ring. And then when Henry Godwin goes for the pin again, he ends up doing a big inside cradle, small package kind of finish. And we get the quick roll up one, two, three, and Body Donis retain the titles. So other than the Lawler commentary joke and the little smosh finish, Attraction and the twin such switcheroo. Nothing really else too 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 memorable about this match. Incredible colors on the body down his ring gear. You know, some someone got a pal some neon in it or something for the fabric. Um, I don't know why it popped out to me. Uh, Lawler, who is notorious for loving women and cheering on the heels his slush shaming Sonny, who is both a woman and a heel. Right. Like it, it just, it kind of seems out of place. I could see him doing it with, you know, if she was a, a face manager, but if he did for Sable, for example, at this time, it would make a little more sense to me. It, it's just weird how he, well, you know, unsuccessfully, cause he can't get the words out. Right. But right. how much he buries her for it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You can see Mandy and Otis, like they're doing right now with it. The, the beauty and the beast story here um finney's bumps pretty crazy well yeah. takes a beating really well uh credit to zip tom pritchard there gets you know his most famous character probably unfortunately um has a tag title reign but a guy that you know i don't think we'll ever get a, a hall of fame or or the recognition for all the work that he did behind the scenes for years to help people out and, you know, kind of a shame in a way for it. It's just such a weird, weird match. Makes me wish that, you know, there's more for Candido. And then is this... Okay, so Body Don's got the tag titles now. Godwin's get it next, then Smoke and Guns from there, right? Yes. Okay, and that's the one where Sonny ditches Skip and Zip and 
pairs up with Phineas, and there's a whole thing that Phineas agreed to let her be a manager. Correct. And then she immediately dumps them to go with the guns, and the guns kind of have a heel turn right. for a bit. And they're like, Sonny, Sonny's the only manager to manage three tag team champions in a row. That doesn't really count. It was almost like she was like a prize that went with the titles. Right. Like, I want to count that as like, Captain Lou's managed the you know these many tag team champions or anything like her just going along with it doesn't it, it was just such a and, and maybe these were in your house matches I forget when these tag title changes took place but it became such a weird thing where she was just oh what do we do with this very popular girl that we have on our shows oh no just have her with the tag titles wherever tag titles go she goes I, I don't know what else to do with it you can see, because I don't think he's here yet, but I'm sure he's, I don't think he's a writer yet, but I'm sure he's working with the magazine. But it, I forget if it was on um, Dark Side of the Ring recently, because he was on there, or, uh, you know, I've been watching so many, you know, interviews and podcasts and stuff. But you can see, apparently, Russo, when he was writing for WWE Magazine, and Raw Magazine as Vic Venom, he went into a meeting at WWE headquarters, Titan Towers, and Vince said, our TV should be like this, the stuff he's writing about in the magazine and the ideas. While I think he has certain issues, a lot of them, and I don't think he puts women in the best place, and you can just look at the WCW run for evidence of that, I think he would have at least put Sonny up front and promoted her and made a star, and everyone could have made more money than whatever the heck WWF is doing with her at this time. Right. Definitely agree. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I was at WWEshop.com looking for the tag title replicas and Sunny replica package, but I couldn't find it. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was was really trying to to see if she actually came with the title. So uh, what are you guys doing for Memorial Day? Uh, Because this year, uh, or at least in 90... uh, 96 we're watching vader versus yoko uh miro versus triple h and then of course savio vega versus stone cold and the wwf title will be defended but they don't know who yet they didn't give that away they at least they didn't give that away right they're learning from their mistakes Uh, following that kind of promo uh in that video we go to a doc hendrix interview with uh mark miro and sable with with Uh, they just basically mark miro and sable the wild man. Whatever. <laughs> Jesus. Kevin, you're on fire tonight. I've, I've, I've been, been fired on, from so. plenty of places. It's nothing <laughs> so, so. It's not new. Uh, yeah, so they're just kind of recapping what happened on the free-for-all. Um, and then... Send in your cable bill to get... Is it an autographed photo, or is it just a photo? I couldn't figure that out. It's a phone card. It's five minutes of long distance. No, I I could have swore it was like an autographed nope, photo. No, it's a phone card. It's a five-minute phone card. Was was five minutes a phone that expensive back then? I mean, this is around the 1010 numbers, too. But right. phone cards became like... I honestly think people were trying to do phone cards like baseball cards. Like, oh, 
get these phone cards for one minute, two, five, ten, how you know, unlimited, whatever it is, but there's different things on them. Well, you're not going to want to get rid of this phone card that has your favorite athlete, singer, you know, cartoon, whatever on it. You're going to want to save them. I honestly think there's a push to have these phone cards be collectible at the time. Um, but no, this was a big thing. It was, well, you don't want a big long distance bill, so just use these phone cards and you know, you get five minutes to talk. You can certainly call up grandma and just talk for five minutes, I guess. But, um, I mean, treats you being a little bit younger, um, McCarthy might, or, uh, educator might know here. Do you know how bad a collect call used to be in the nineties? Oh, pretty rough. I remember uh, college and me not electing to actually have, um, in like in dorm phone, regular in dorm phone service. So I would call, call home collect. So as I would not have a cable or a phone bill from on campus, but yeah, like a 20 minute phone call would be like 10, 15, you know, it could be a 10, $15 potential call. So. Yeah. I, I did a collect call from the mall once. It was like, Hey mom, I'm done. Come pick me up. And I didn't know the trick that when they ask you for your name, you say the message there. Right. You know, instead of saying, you know, do you accept a call from Kevin? You just, yeah, it's, do you accept a call from I'm ready? Come pick me up. I didn't know that trick yet. So of course my mom accepts and it turned out, I just, I was foolish. I ran out of money. I spent the quarter, you know, two quarters, whatever. There's going to be my call to get a ride. And yeah, I think it was like 12 bucks for her, yeah. which I may have had to pay. So, I mean, but if if she'd allowed me to order this affordable in your house pay per view for twenty dollars, and I sent my receipt months later, I would have received my five minute phone card that I could have used to say, "Hey, come pick me up at the mall." There you go. And had four minutes left. <laughs> I learned something because I had no idea about this was a phone. I honestly thought you were like five minutes. I I remember them saying five minutes, and I was like, "Oh, maybe that's like on the hotline or something." Right. And then, and then you get like an autograph photo of the four people they were showing. Phone, phone cards were the hot things before pogs. So one of the things I do that we started to skip ahead is going back to the backstage segment with the marvelous, or not marvelous at this time, the wild man Mark Merrill interview with Sable, and um, you know setting up for the pay per view match against Hunter Hearst Helmsley, showing the free for all. And so we had just seen um, Mark Merrow debut with a backstage, uh, back behind the scenes vignette at WrestleMania um, and getting into the fight with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And now Mark Merrow has wrestled a few times on TV. We, previous to him coming to the WWF, he was uh, a mainstay for three to four years in WCW. Um, and he was television champion and he was a pretty popular flamboyant character. Um, and initially what, you know, Vince McMahon was hoping to get was this Johnny B bad character. And they realized that they, when they hired him, that, you know, their trademark or whatever, they could not have that Johnny B bad tutti fruity little Richard like gimmick kind of deal. So, here we are in the early stages of Mark Merrow trying to figure out a character. And you see this in the interview where 
I like had to turn up the volume on my TV in order to understand what he's saying because he's not talking in like a normal communicative voice. Instead, he's talking like this because he's going to come and get Triple H. And it's such a low, raspy voice that you, you can't even hardly hear what he's mumbling or saying. And certainly just trying to figure out who and what his character is going to be and how he's going to talk. Because he didn't have a problem communicating his point across when he was in WCW. And now it's just very, very awkward to try to see this new wrestler who we're used to what he's capable of doing in the ring being so very, very different in an interview segment. Well, I mean, like you have, uh, like we said, Jake, the snakes there who Jake, when he did promos, he didn't yell and scream and let me tell you something, brother, and all, all that. It was more of a calm, even, almost hypnotic tone and cadence to what he was saying. So if you have him trying to tell other people how to do it, maybe Mark Merrill was like, okay, let me try it this way. Didn't really work. He went too low. But maybe it was, you know, um, listening to the instructions of my teacher here, but failing in the execution. It just, it came off as like a yelling whisper. That's like how he was trying to talk and communicate. Like you could barely hear. Like I said, I had to legitimately turn up the the volume on my TV to try to see what in the world is he gargling about because he, I don't understand what he's saying. He's trying to hype his his program for the next pay per view, but again, I'm just I'm my focus was more on his wife standing right next to him and the the eyes that she's making towards the camera and what her facials were on TV. I wasn't paying attention to Meryl. Yelling Whisper, wasn't that the guy's gimmick that won the last season of Tough Enough? Oh, he was like quiet. Um... Silent Rage. <laughs> silent Rage, yeah. Good old Silent Rage there. What, was he one of the ones that was released on Black Wednesday? Oh, wait. No. <laughs> he didn't make it that far. He didn't make it that far, that's right. I think the only one that's uh, still uh, there is uh, Velveteen, right? Was he part of yeah, that? Yeah, Velveteen, Velveteen oh. Mandy... Sonia, Sonia, yeah, and uh, Chelsea. Oh, I I forgot Green was part of that just because she's had such a a odd way of getting there, going to TNA, and and someone got sent home and she came in as a replacement. Okay, that's I couldn't remember how that came about because I don't even remember Chelsea being on the original cast. But now you reminding me of that. Yep, I remember. Yeah, however many people- was that the one with Cross? Matt Cross got eliminated first. Yeah. 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 Yep, I forgot he was on it. That's all that Lucha. Lucha the Lucha Underground. Underground. <laughs> so, uh, so why don't we move into our main event, but before we go there, we show that amazing video package again. And like I alluded to earlier, guys, I actually made a video package for our inevitable breakup. Because, you know, we're good friends, but we're, we're also better enemies. It was a national pandemic when three men decided to band together. During uncertain times, people lean on what they know and love, and these men leaned on their mutual love for professional wrestling. Equipped with a pair of nostalgia goggles, some all-day pizza, a one-size-fits-all sweatshirt, and the WWE Network, they bunkered down and quarantined, not alone, but together. 
together they formed a podcast that would change the landscape of audio media, winning the Trios Tag Team Championships and in the process, capturing the hearts of America. And just when everything was sewn up, threads became loose. Some say the weight of the three men leaning on something they loved started the cracks, which only widened as the quarantine continued. Some say it was Maddie Treats' fault. As the podcast continued to grow, so did his ego, and he was trying too hard to get over. Some say it was the educator's fault, neglecting his students for the bright lights of fame which the Retro Network brought him. And some say it was the masked library's fault, for his mask now covered his eyes, and he became a blind leader. What made these three men a dynamite combination led to their explosion. A powdered donut keg of backstabbing, betrayal, and hatred. You see, they were good podcasters, but better frenemies. So, so what do you guys think? Are you, do you think that's how our inevitable end will be? Is... Uh... You know, do you think it was all of our faults or, or just one of us? Or I, I think I'm just wondering which one of us turned heel on the others. Maybe one of us finally admitted to throwing the pie at Kevin Owens. I don't know. <laughs> the pie at Kevin Owens. <laughs> Listen, there's pictures of some of us with Kevin Owens. So that's true. Yeah, your students, your student there, being held up <laughs> by steam. <laughs> it's great. That's like one of my favorite photos of all time. It really is. Why don't we move on to our main event here? Uh, so we got Diesel uh, takes on HVK uh, with Jose Lothario in a no holds barred match. Um, so I love this. Like, I love this a lot. It's fantastic. So many memorable things. And as I was this, this, I think, is better now mm-hmm. than it was then. Just because of the things they do. Uh, a couple things I, I wrote down before I throw it to you guys. Th- starts off great with Diesel throwing the vest at uh, at Vince. Yeah, let me jump ringside. in real quick. During the uh, the setup for the setup for the show, they do the backs there. They play the they play the the video package again, reminding us of their history as you know uh, when they were both heels together and Diesel winning the Intercontinental Title when they were tag champions, and then Diesel losing the Intercontinental Title, getting super kicked in the face at SummerSlam. Just the great video package reminding us, and then they play bits and pieces from the free for all the backstage interview. Um, and diesel's line was great. Vince, I want to make sure you're watching. I have something for you because when it's live, I'm digging it the most. So he's planting these barbs of his plans and leaving and so on. And you're just wondering what in the world does he mean by that? And then the, just the vest throw on the McMahon and was great. Oh my God. When I was live, I'm digging it the most because nitro was live every week. Right. And exactly. raw wasn't live yet. Wow. That's a good line. I didn't catch. Yeah. See, he's yeah. There was just something about this match. Now, um, watching it, uh, not only that, of course, um, him hanging Sean Michaels. Oh, so yeah, looked. Fa- I mean, 
oh my lord, uh, taking the boot off one of the Spanish announced guys, uh, attacking Earl, um, just so much stuff in this match. And I think the reason I, I really loved this so much was there was just this raw, visceral feeling to it. I think a lot of times now when you get to the WWE and when you talk about their hardcore, their no-holds-barred matches, uh, you see a lot of, you know, if this happened like on Raw now or some sort of pay-per-view now, they would go into, well, not now, they wouldn't go into the crowd now, but they would go into a crowd and it would just it just looks so fake where this is just so gritty and grimy and and just just going at it and it's just oh, it feels like a man diesel feels like a man possessed in, in this match and and i i just oh god i just love it so much sean getting powerbombed through the table i mean not to hold everything up let, let me go right to the educator because i think we're in the same boat here um did this get better with age absolutely i i remember like i said watching this when i was in high school when it happened, I just remember absolutely loving this match. And then again, because of no internet and I wasn't any subscriber to any of the dirt sheets, I had no idea about like the backstage clout that the click had had with the things that they were pulling behind the scenes and the fact that there were plans for Scott Hall, who was the Razor Ramon character, and Kevin Nash, who was the Diesel character, their plans uh, of potentially leaving. One thing um, I, I didn't talk about in the Vader versus Razor Ramon match is that we're so used to Razor Ramon having some kind of pyro in his entrance when he's in the ring and he's doing the thumb point and he stretches his arms out that there's usually pyro going off in the background. And during his Vader match, his entrance, absolutely no pyro whatsoever. And then when we cut to now the main event, we have Diesel with full-blown pyro. He's got the four ring posts that shoot straight up into the air. And then even the typical, uh, what we're used to as what the Razor Ramon pyro was, the, the X going across the middle of the ring, that pyro shooting up in the air as well. This... Uh, yeah, I just I think it gets better with age because we have learned about the behind the scenes stuff going on, and again, it it truly is. I th I really feel Michaels and Diesel trying to show, hey, look at the kinds of matches that we were capable of having together, and Vince, you're letting these guys go. And look at the look at the missed money because you aren't willing to double down and you know give them better contracts or whatever that they're realistically requesting. And from the sounds of it, Scott Hall's request for more money it wasn't that much more that he wanted. Um, and then because WCW was just literally an ATM machine of who would have turned down. Uh, what they were offering for them to certainly come over. So I really think that uh, Michaels went out of his way to show what amazing chemistry that he had with Diesel and what type of an amazing match. And yeah, absolutely the, the fantastic, fantastic match. Without a doubt, match of the night. Um, the only thing that really salvaged this pay-per-view was this main event. Also, too, what do you think, because at the end of the show when Michaels 
gets the victory, of course. This is, of course, after they've pulled Mad Dog Vachon's leg off. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> absurd what goes on. Michaels is going nuts. Like, Absolutely. Yelling yeah. at the camera, the hard cam. And he does a Hogan pose during it. Right. What do you think is going through? Do you any idea what he said? Just kind of going through. I, and this may be well, not to open, not to cut off your legs, educator, but also too, because I know the um, the Mass Library likes to do some research when before we go into the shows. Was there anything from like a shoot interview or or just from from DVDs or anything you guys have seen in passing doing research on it where you know exactly what Michaels was going off about? No, I, I haven't found anything. My best guess would be Michaels doesn't have a WCW history. Nash was there before. The Hall was there before. Um, maybe they didn't have interest in him. Maybe they weren't willing to offer him the same amount of money. And it was kind of like, go ahead. Go ahead. Take my best friends. Have Hogan. I'm still better. And you know what? He was. He absolutely, like... At this time, Michaels was best wrestler, without a doubt. Um, it's you know because it's it's clearly a, a swan song, a goodbye to the guys. Um, I think Vince was probably nervous and didn't know what was going on. He seemed legit nervous with Kevin Nash. Like the hell is he going to do? Because honestly, WCW probably would have paid the any lawyer fees if anything did happen too. And yeah, looking back, you could have Kevin Nash say, I wouldn't have done anything. I always did business right. Yeah, but in the moment, you don't know how someone's going to react. Right. And money can do stuff. And to feel a lack of respect of we want to stay and you're not willing to pay can do stuff too. Um, I'm wondering, is this the first time that someone got put through a table in WWF, WWE? Yeah, I um well, if you think about it back at the Survivor Series pay-per-view earlier at the end of last year, they ended up they did do a table spot with Bret Hart when Diesel shoved him off the apron, pushed the ropes, he went flying through the Spanish announce table as well. Um and I that was like a scary spot and I I'm, I'm starting to get, we're we're starting to see some of the the what we know as the ECW seeds beginning to be planted where ECW was known for of course the hardcore wrestling and what is the common table spot um we saw a table spot with heart heart flying through from the apron to the floor which was a pretty pretty good jump probably about six seven feet to to land on that table when Diesel shoved him off the the apron during that Survivor Series match in 95 but yeah, the power bomb spot. Not only was it impressive because you know he certainly sets up Michaels as if he's going to power bomb him on the floor because he's sitting at a right angle to the table. But he picks up Michaels. He then turns the ninety degrees to drop Michaels on the table. Michaels goes flying through the table. What was more devastating to me were the two hard monitors, the CRT monitors that Lawler and Vince were, you know, doing their play-by-play on. Those fly through the air and crash on Michael's chest. And, I mean, those are probably 15, 20-pound monitors with sharp metal edges. And I'm surprised that, like, there wasn't some kind of visible injury that Michael's ended up suffering from doing that spot. Yeah, but what a great visual it was to have Michaels covered in these monitors, um, especially now. What a contrast it is to now where 
oh, I'm going to hurt my guy. I'm going to put him through the table, but let me clear off the table first. Right. Like there's just a disconnect when it comes to these table spots um, to have these iPads or, or whatever they're they're using for monitors now to have the other wrestler who's trying to hurt them in the storyline move everything in and clean it off. So it's a it's a cleaner landing. But man, this was this was just brutal. You know, like you're saying, with how brutal it was and how they move stuff now, none of this is for us to say, like, screw the wrestler's safety. Because that is, you know, a big part of them clearing the stuff now. But if we're supposed to believe these people wanted to beat the hell out of each other, then do it in some way that it makes sense to set up the spot within that story, too. I think that's one of the great things we see with the managers coming back for WWE now. You can have a manager set up a table for a spot while the wrestlers are wrestling instead of, oh, my opponent's setting up a table. Let me just sell here and pretend to not notice it for five minutes. The manager sets up, it makes more sense. It also makes sense that you might not know where the table is. Oh, I was in the ring. I didn't realize someone on the floor set up a table. I like how they'll do a table spot now where the table's set up in the first couple minutes of a match, forgotten about for the whole middle, and by the time someone goes through it later, you forgot the table's even there. Right. Which I think works even better with a, a, a manager, a second, a tag team partner, whatever, someone else setting it up. It makes it seem like, oh, I didn't realize it was there until yeah. it was too late. Not only the table spot we're talking about, but then Sean bringing the steel chair into the ring and hitting Diesel with it, and the chair still wrapped up in the wires right. for the microphone equipment. It just looks so brutal. It was a clearly accidental. He's trying to get it off of there. It's not happening, but it it makes it look that much more emotional, that much more energy. I don't I don't mean passionate and you know romantic way clearly, but you know like you're just fueled with all of this emotion. That you don't care, it looks ridiculous. I still need to beat the hell out of this person. It's like if you ever see a video of a really good fight, and the, you know the person's shirt is torn or whatever. I don't care about my shirt. I don't care how I look right now. I'm trying to put this guy down. I could, I could care less if anything looks pretty here. My point is to put this person down, and this match looks dirty, which makes it all the more. And I was like, is this match so good because the rest of the pay per view isn't? But no, you're right. It's just flat out good. Anything else you guys want to add to to this match? Just a couple of, of quick little bites here. Um, Michael's entrance, you know, we're so used to uh, when we hear the Shawn Michaels theme music, him coming out and playing to the crowd. He's all business charging to the ring. And if you look very carefully as the camera picks up, it looks like he's doing like a single bicep pose walking to the ring, but he actually has the click sign as he's walking to the ring um, at the very start of his entrance. And then he puts it down and he's just all like serious eyes walking to the ring um, immediately right after that table spot that he was powerbombed through the table. Um, the announcers, their headgear is all gone. They're they're Vince and, and Lawler. They're not talking. So we're just seeing what's going on live. But when you hear Mike, when you see Michael's trying to get up to, uh, I, I guess I answer the count, you hear Vince screaming like not over the headset, but just to Michael's and the, ca- the 
the audio picks it up it's over let it be over and almost as like an act of defiance michaels is like forcing himself to get up to get into the ring and i thought that was just that was a great touch uh for the match i i honestly i expected the finish when michaels did the couple of chair shots in the ring with the Lawler's headset wrapped around it. Um, and then him setting up, you know, he's slapping his leg. He's going to do the super kick. I thought that was going to be the end of the match. And I, I had completely forgotten about the um, the Maurice Vachon spot that it was still yet to come. So they're setting up the, like the finish is going to be right then and there. Little did we know there were still like five more minutes. So Michaels sets up for the super kick diesel, catching the leg, whipping it around, hitting him with a hard clothesline. And then that's what ended up leading to diesel being out of the ring and then going and attacking Vashon, uh, Maurice Vashon, and taking that prosthetic leg. I remember in high school, my mind being absolutely blown that he yanked off a prosthetic leg from a fan or a former wrestler, a fan at ringside, and was using that as an actual like weapon in the match. Michaels with the low blow to stop him uh, from hitting him with that prosthetic leg, and then Michaels grabbing the leg and kind of like winding up like it's a baseball bat and clocking Diesel over the head with it, and then doing the super kick finish for the pin. But yeah, the the emotion then at the very end of the match, as soon as the one two three is counted. You see Michaels, he's like flipping off Diesel, telling him to get out of the ring. And then I don't know if you guys caught it, and it's barely visible on camera. Hebner goes and gets the belt. And before Michaels like goes into his rage of hard camera and screaming and yelling, he shoves Hebner out of the ring. He pushes him out of the at least it comes off. Hebner goes flying out of the ring, making it look like Michael shoved him. And then he starts his, you know, to the camera, come on, WCW, I'm the best guy. He's starting to mock Hogan's posing and all that stuff. Just a lot of a raw emotion. And I think a lot of it was with Michael's just being frustrated with McMahon that, yeah, not only are his friends leaving, but to really good talents are leaving and look at here's what we are capable of doing together and you're letting it all go so uh, now how many people do you think knew mad dog had a prosthetic leg oh god i had no idea i mean like not i mean like it was known it wasn't like carrie von eric hiding it for years while actively competing you know right. it wasn't that level but i mean what a, what a shock and you can hear a gasp from the audience oh crowd went nuts like what in the world is going on and there's also like a, a lot of wrestlers have said it um for you know extra violent matches like this that it's easier with someone you're friends with that there's a level of trust um i think the most recent example we've seen is uh champa and gargano that there's a level of trust when you're close friends with someone that we can be the hell out of each other and still be safe which is absolutely here for sure um also the all right i don't i I want it called something else when someone does the elaborate wwf crotch shot where it's like an uppercut punch between the legs and it's clear it's not like a full-on kicking the groin but like this protected i guess way of it i I don't know like bicep cuff i guess (laughs) Uh, Nutter Cup? 
Nutter cut. There you go. Nutter cut. <laughs> 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 <A> diamond nutter. <laughs> it, it just it, it's kind of a ridiculous spot, and I also think it needs to be called something else. And it just it's like I think everyone has a move that just it stands out to you every time you see it. It's just like I this is the, this is the move that takes me out of it for a moment. You know, I think everyone has something that takes them out of it for a minute. Every time I see that move, it does. And every so often you get like a, someone does a good one or a real one or an actual hit. And it looks worse because ones like these, I think, look terrible. But I mean, other than that, this match is fantastic. One, one of the best ones by far. Without a doubt. And honestly, I think I think you could take I think you could put this match and that little the promo video beforehand and show it to someone that doesn't watch wrestling be like this without anything else for the show or any other lead up for. I think you should be like, this is why I like wrestling. because This is cool to watch. And they get it. They say, okay, even even if you didn't convert them to being a fan, they'd be like, okay, I get it. That was pretty cool. Well, why don't we why don't we get to it? Why don't we get to our, our science here? Um where does this mat this match rank in our in your house um you know it's not something we talk about every every you know week just because there isn't a match to me that goes into that upper echelon but where do you put this one on our scale of all the in your house matches we have we we've seen so far of course number 1 right now is the Brett Bulldog match with all the blood so where does this one rank is this one better than that one or is it just below or you know kind of what what, what are your guys thoughts well i mean there's two other matches i guess that i would compare it to one of them you have just mentioned the brett bulldog match and the other then being the Shawn michaels double j match where Shawn wins the intercontinental title um i I would definitely say that this probably is going to eke out brett bulldog and probably be at the top of the list if not it's just underneath it in between um I, i i i appreciated this match i i i think there was more technical skill in the Shawn Michaels uh, Jeff Jarrett uh, match in that match, but I, I just think that the 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 storyline, the history, that the energy, the emotion that was going on in this particular match certainly put it up over the top. And now just knowing the backstage stuff and, and with what's going on with with Diesel leaving, Scott Hall and Brazier Ramon leaving. Um, yeah, I, I, this for, for me personally, and I've always been a huge Kevin Nash diesel mark. Um, I think this is the best of all the in your house matches so far. Kevin, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean that, that Brett Bulldog match is good, but I remember watching it fresh. I'm like, once we get to the blood part and for, and some other ones, it kicks up a notch. It's for a world title that adds to it. It's memorable. But I wasn't impressed with it from the beginning. This match from the start, though, right. I was like, oh, we're in for it. I'm excited. You know, I'm not doing anything else. I'm not, like, looking down at my notes. I'm not looking at over at my phone. I am just watching this match, and that is, it, is all of my attention in the world. And while I've enjoyed some other ones, and there's others that are absolutely like, here's the best of in your house, this match by far, best one we've seen to this point. Yeah, and I would actually agree with that, and I don't think it's close. <laughs> like, I was watching this, and I'm like, this is, it was, 
I, I think the thing when you, when you're going back and reliving these childhood moments and you as as the educator always says, you put on the nostalgia goggles. This is better now. Like it just it aged better. And it's probably the first match that I remember being better now than it was then. Um, just for, I, I don't know what it is. I just think the visceral portion of it. So I'm going to conclude that because this is the best in your house match we have watched. This has to be the best in your house pay-per-view. Am I wrong for You're saying such that? A jerk. You couldn't be more wrong. You couldn't <laughs> be more wrong if it was a contest. To be wrong. All right. So let, why don't we say this? Cause uh, why don't we figure out where in your house, good friends, better enemies go. Let's start at the bottom and work our way to the top is Good friends, better enemies, better than number two in your house, Lumberjacks. No. Possibly only because of the main event, but I am probably going to concur with the library and an overall presentation standard. And just, I, I just, the Goldust match and... and, and even and, call it a match. Uh, yeah, and then even the, the show opener with uh, like the... Going from a singles to the tag with not even explaining it's a tag and not understanding what's going on. And then what limited time the tag match was for Ahmed Johnson suddenly showing up and, and the the body Donis, not nothing memorable about that other than the eye candy on TV. I myself personally, as much as I love the Diesel Shawn Michaels match, probably at this point the worst pay-per-view in your house so far of the seven now that we've reviewed all right majority rules in this house uh so i guess this is the worst pay-per-view we have watched which is insane to me because it's it's insane that the best match we have watched head and shoulders the best match in my opinion is also the worst pay-per-view like an example would be hey i'm buying this pay-per-view vhs dvd you know whatever geez, I really don't want to waste my money on the rest of the show. Is there any way I can just get this match? Oh, there's a best of in your house coming out later. I'll wait and save my money. So I don't have to waste my money on this one. Um, we went to an indie show years ago where the a guy that was in the main event had not made it to the building yet or well, the, the location yet. So they had to stall for time. If you told me like, Sean Michaels or Kevin Nash is stuck with like airport traffic, whatever. They're not here. We're really stalling and spreading out other stuff on the show to make sure they're here in time. It would be a little more forgivable. Nothing like no story like that's come out that I know of because this, in, this indie show, I was like, Oh, okay. It makes sense that we're stalling here because we need to wait for certain people to be here. We can't say the main events ready to go when the main event wrestler isn't here yet. As far as I know, that's not what happened here. It was just a crap show with a ridiculously good match out of nowhere to send everyone home. It, it's also kind of interesting to look at the way we are ranking these in our bottom two pay-per-views, which are, of course, this one, Good Friends, Better Enemies, and then Lumberjacks, have two of the top three matches on it. Right. <laughs> it's just... I can't please you internet fans. We just can't please you internet fans. So <laughs> um, that's all I have about this pay-per-view. Like I said, I, I loved the main event and that was pretty much it. Um, you know, it's always nice seeing sunny mid mid uh, 90s sunny on there. So uh, 
So educator, any final thoughts on everything in the pay-per-view? Um, and uh, of course, yeah, yeah. Any final thoughts for you? I still think that uh, WWF at the time is still trying to figure out how to effectively utilize the what is now the every month make mega show pay-per-view show format um there have been significant hits uh substantial miss misses on this uh i really think that this truly was just a filler show for uh wwf at the time because if we think about it we got bret hart who had just dropped the title to Shawn michaels back at wrestlemania um he's out on hiatus and he, uh, he was gone, I believe, and helped me out, Mass Library. Uh, Lonesome Dove was shooting those shows, I believe. Um, yep. After Mania, he uh, had a deal to take six months, I believe, six months off, off, and right. part of it was filming that. Filming Lonesome um, and so on. And um, and then you've also got, you know, with Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and... Eventually, I, I believe uh, 123Kid may have had one more pay-per-view, uh, a free-for-all appearance, whether it was at King of the Ring or the In Your House, uh, Beware of Dog, which we will be looking at next. Um, but 123Kid, certainly not long for this world. Um, WCW is certainly beginning to turn up the heat in terms of uh, getting better quality product out there. And drawing in more fans, not just WCW fans, but just more fans and wrestling. So the the wrestling wars were uh, just starting to begin to heat up. They've been you know simmering through the fall and winter, and now uh, WWF is going into this new direction with Shawn Michaels being the quote unquote leader of the new generation. And um, so yeah, I still think that WWF is still trying to figure out how to best utilize this pay-per-view format and they certainly have not uh, completely got there yet yeah so i think that's gonna do it for us this week um of course next week we will be back with another in your house it is in your house eight beware of dog uh one and beware of dog two uh this next show you guys are not gonna want to miss because i think the story behind the show is might be better than the actual show and i'm very curious to see how the wwe network uh edits basically the show and and puts it together because it takes place on two separate nights so i'm sure the educator will educate everyone uh on that pay-per-view uh but uh any uh anything you want to say before we leave educator to um everyone listening out there certainly appreciate the uh following we're hearing some very very great feedback from uh the retro network regarding this particular podcast we certainly encourage you all to uh certainly check out the retro network and all the offerings that they have not only for our podcast but all the other types of uh pop culture stuff that they have going on there and uh we appreciate the following and we ask that you certainly uh spread the word because we will continue and uh with this and this series and then continue uh based on feedback may begin to start looking at other series once we finish the in your house yeah and i just want to say of course thank you guys um 
for uh, listening to us. It's always fun to have you guys come in and listen to our conversations. Of course, it's just, you know, three really good friends just kind of uh, talking about uh, talking about wrestling. Uh, as always, you can follow me at Maddie Treats on uh, on Twitter, I believe that is. Yeah, it's Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter. Um, follow me there. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Um, you know, we're always will always be there. Uh, and if you're a new listener from uh, from the Podbean site of the week, welcome aboard. Hope you guys are here for the the fun ride that is 1990s WWF in your house pay-per-views. Uh, we got some doozies. And of course, keep listening to the Retro Network. Uh, a lot of great content every single day. And I passed it to Mr. Mask Library. Take us home. Thank you, Maddie Treats. You can find my t-shirt and hat combo across the internet is at Mask Library. Thank you to Richard Reeder for our logo. Thank you to Matt for all of his editing. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. And thank you for everyone listening because of the three of us are the six best things in podcasting. You just saying I have like <laughs> Are you talking about her? Oh, that could be it. That could be it. <laughs>